chapter 16 this evening. I think I mentioned um, Acts chapter 14 uh, this morning, but the main thing is I get it right in the evening. I'm not very good with numbers, and uh, so we'll get it right this evening. Good to see you the, uh, this evening, and to turn to this precious word of the Lord's this evening. Chapter 16, verse 1. And then he, that is Paul and uh, also Silas at this point, came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed she was a Christian, but his father was Greek, Gentile, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who uh, were at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted to have him, that is Timothy, go on with him on the journey. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. Uh, for they all knew that his father was Greek or Gentile. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in their faith and increased in uh, number uh, daily. I th this evening, we're not going to um, remotely finish uh, this chapter this evening. Um, there's so much in it, and we'll save Paul's ministry in Philippi for next Sunday night, God willing, and, and enjoy the Lord's Supper as well. Sometimes I think a person can read through the first five verses of chapter 16 and think that the Lord is just kind of putting out some needless details about this or that and, uh, and really something that we can move through very, very quickly in order to get to uh, all of the bombs bursting in air and the rocket's glare of Paul's ministry in Philippi but you would be very, very hard-pressed uh, to convince uh, the Apostle Paul related to that because these verses record the introduction of a relationship in a human being into his life and into his ministry life that will be one that he will prize perhaps above all in the course of his life and that he will... Uh, be engaged in that relationship all the way until the moment of his death. And when you look at the scriptures and we see Paul spoken of so often, of course, through the book of Acts, of course, as the human instrument of so many of uh, the epistles in the New Testament, we read about uh, Timothy and all in the passage like this, put so much together for us in understanding not only the book of Acts, but also understanding uh, the epistles as well. We remember from last time that Paul and Barnabas had a separation, a disagreement occurred uh, over uh, uh, Barnabas's uh, nephew, uh, John Mark, and they split. And Paul began his second missionary journey here, now with a man by the name of Silas taking the place of uh, Barnabas in that team. But as he begins uh, his second missionary journey, uh, the Holy Spirit replaces Barnabas, but he hasn't yet replaced 
uh, the important ministry that John Mark was intended uh, to fulfill as a part of these missionary journeys. And so uh, probably little did Paul know that in his early stops on the second missionary journey, God would do that through a young man uh, by the name uh, of, uh, of uh, Timothy. Remember that Paul's intent as he started this second missionary journey was in order to go back to all of the churches that they had established on the first missionary journey, most of them established in very, very hostile uh, spiritual environments in terms of Christianity, open persecution against Christians, to make sure that they're doing okay and also to uh, strengthen them. And so the first uh, cities that they come to in verse 1 are the cities of Derby and Lystra. It had been about five years since Paul had been to these two cities previously on his first missionary journey. That's quite an absence. And so you might imagine that he was eager to get there, to see familiar faces, uh, to see people continue in, uh, in the Lord. And while he's in the city of Lystra, he comes into contact with this uh, young man named Timothy. We're told that Timothy was a disciple. And as a disciple or a follower of Jesus, he's clearly a Christian. He was the son, we're told, in verse 1 of a Jewish mother who was also uh, a Christian. Uh, We know from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 5 that her name was Eunice, and we know uh, further that he had a Jewish uh, grandmother who uh, named Lois, who also uh, became a a Christian as well. Each of them, uh, without a doubt, saved under the ministry of the Apostle Paul uh, five years earlier as he brought the gospel to that city on his first missionary journey. Timothy's father was a Greek. He was a Gentile, was an unusual outside of the, uh, the land of Israel for Uh, Gentile uh, or Jewish men and Jewish women uh, to uh, marry outside uh, of those who were Jews, marry uh, Gentiles, and so uh, she did. It certainly wasn't unusual for a Jew to marry a Gentile uh, in a land outside of Israel, especially uh, the more prominent uh, that either the uh, the Jew or the Gentile uh, uh, might uh, might be. We're told that he was well spoken of, that is Timothy, by, uh, of, by the Christians in Lystra and Iconium, so that's important and, and uh, was probably important in Paul's choosing of him. He has a good reputation among Christians, a good reputation among serious Christians, and, uh, uh, and, a, and a godly character that was well known in his hometown and in the surrounding area. All of this in verse 3 caused Paul to uh, desire that Timothy would accompany him and Silas for the remainder of their missionary journey. Again, uh, a replacement for Mark hadn't occurred yet. Uh, someone to do the physical, the f- getting the food, making uh, uh, arrangements for uh, lodging, uh, all kinds of different things that were needed uh, ad- to address the practical uh, needs on, on a missionary journey. And so in verse 3, uh, the invitation was extended to Timothy. Uh, clearly, he accepted it uh, because Paul then had him circumcised. And obviously, uh, Timothy had never, ever been uh, circumcised. And so I don't know if Paul uh, invited him on the team, and then he accepted, and then Paul said, oh, by the way, 
um, I forgot to mention, uh, or whether he was told ahead of time what it was that might uh, occur. I assume it's one thing uh, to be circumcised on the eighth day of life as a male uh, born into the world and another thing when you're uh, 18 years old. Now, under uh, Jewish law and their understanding of the family unit, um, a child always took the religion of his mother. And so uh, Timothy should have been circumcised. He should have been raised as a Jew. Uh, but the, the, the Greek law uh, was polar opposite to all of that. And uh, under Greek law and culture, the father uh, was, uh, the, dominated the home. And so the Greeks worshipped um, uh, uh, the beauty of the human body. They considered Jewish circumcision a mutilation of the body. Um, historically, uh, even the, uh, this was so important to uh, the Greeks that in a, 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 a point in their history, if you were a, a kind of a world-renowned uh, Jewish athlete and you had been circumcised, uh, as a child, and of course the wrestling matches and so many of the athletic things, because the uh, the Greeks were fairly immodest, and so uh, you would uh, you would compete naked, and uh, so uh, the Jews, in order to uh, enter into the Olympic Games and other games of that caliber, would have their circumcision undone so as to be acceptable before uh, a Gentile um, uh, audience. They, the, the Greeks did not uh, like uh, the, the treating of the human body uh, in that way. They really sort of worshiped the human body and certainly the characteristics uh, of the flesh. And so, of course, all of this raises the question as to why Paul uh, would do this with Timothy, have him circumcised, when uh, just in the earlier chapters here, he had fought so fiercely against the Judaizers uh, that had come uh, into Antioch and wanted to bring Christians uh, under the law of Moses, under circumcision, and uh, the keeping of the Sabbath and these kind of things. Uh, Paul withstood him, doggedly withstood uh, them, uh, as did Barnabas, and yet here we turn a couple of chapters further, and uh, here we have uh, uh, Paul uh, calling upon Timothy to be circumcised in, in order to continue to be a part of the second missionary uh, uh, journey. And so uh, the reason for it is given to us there in verse 3. It's because, because Timothy was half Jewish and he was half Gentile, uh, Paul thought that because their missionary journeys would bring them initially in each of these cities in contact with uh, Jews and the Jewish population in these cities first, Paul knew that if the Jews learned that uh, Timothy, who would be considered uh, a Jew by the Jews uh, because of their 
according to the strict Jewish law, uh, a child, again, of a mixed marriage would uh, take on his mother's nationality. If they learned that Timothy had not been circumcised, then they might refuse to listen to the message of the gospel. And so this could have potentially been a great stumbling block to the message of the gospel uh, to uh, the Jewish population in the cities that uh, uh, were yet to be reached on uh, the missionary journey. And to such a degree, uh, the prejudice could be so great that uh, uh, no Jewish person would give any heed to anything that Paul uh, or uh, Silas or uh, that Timothy spoke to them. They would refuse to listen to the message uh, of, of uh, the gospel. And, uh, and so Paul is sometimes criticized for what he does here, uh, but I think his explanation is in verse 3. It's important that Paul does not have, Tim, uh, to realize that Paul does not have Timothy circumcised as a means of righteousness or as a means of salvation. Uh, like the Judaizers were uh, teaching, uh, uh, but it was simply in keeping with Paul's perspective in terms of reaching people with the gospel, and that is, I become all things to all men that I might uh, by all means reach some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, as he wrote to the church in Corinth. So for Paul, and you had to pray about uh, coming on to any kind of a missionary journey with him, for Paul, the message was everything. The gospel was everything. For people to hear that message and be saved and have their life now changed, changed for eternity, everything became secondary, literally everything uh, to that message. And uh, and Paul not only required it of himself, but clearly those who served with him. Timothy, we're told in verse 4, uh, went on with Paul and Silas on the missionary journey. And in verses 4 and 5, we're told that they came to all of these local congregations coming back to these churches that uh, Paul had established some five years earlier and uh, let them know about the uh, ruling of the Jerusalem Council concerning being saved on the basis of, uh, of grace through faith alone and not on the basis of works or circumcision or keeping the law uh, of, of Moses solely through faith in Jesus. And as a result, we're told that the existing churches were strengthened in their faith and uh, spiritually, and then they uh, they increased in number uh, daily. I want to take a moment uh, uh, this evening to just talk about uh, what this uh, young man, I mean, um, certainly no more than 18 years of age at this particular point in time, uh, the circumstances behind this man, this young man, Timothy, becoming such an important relationship in the Apostle Paul's uh, life. And I think that sometimes the Apostle Paul gets misunderstood as we read about his determination, we read about the strength of his personality, his perseverance. He just seems to be the kind of guy that can uh, run through uh, block walls and uh, keep on uh, on going, and I think that a lot of times, as we read about him in his epistles and in the book of of Acts, he he can kind of be misunderstood as like this relentless gospel machine, you know, just strong and he's independent, he's very brilliant and. 
obviously very, very motivated and dedicated uh, to whatever he, task he puts himself to, uh, but relationally sometimes the perception is, is that he was a bit of a loner and that he could have done just as well heading off and doing these things on his own, that he really didn't uh, uh, need people around him in his life and, uh, and maybe even didn't even like people around him in his life, just kind of emotionally detached, uh, his, his zeal for God being so great, emotionally detached on a physical or personal uh, lever, uh, level and uh, that he just did uh, his thing. If you could keep up with him, fine. If you couldn't keep up with him, uh, he couldn't be bothered with that. He couldn't be bothered with emotionally investing himself in other people. Uh, the work is, is everything. And of course, none of that uh, is, is true. Uh, you read the closing of uh, the, his letter to the church in Rome, and in that letter to the church in Rome, it's just filled as he closes it with one relationship after another, after another, after another. He begins virtually all of his epistles by talking about who he is with presently as he writes this letter. He closes the letter with the same information, very, very relationally connected uh, with, with other uh, people. He liked people. People liked being around him. And, uh, and, uh, and certainly Timothy almost single-handedly blows up any kind of uh, a view like this of Paul. Uh, for Timothy would not only become Paul's assistant and, and Silas's assistant, but he will ultimately, uh, from this point forth, become a protege of the Apostle Paul. He will uh, become a very treasured friend. At this point, a relationship begins between Timothy and, and Paul uh, that Paul will treasure all the way to his dying breath, all the days of his, uh, of his uh, life. And that relationship was begun in Lystra. I th one of the interesting observations concerning, uh, I think, some of the closest relationships that people in general have in life is how uh, different uh, the two of them can be. Uh, and sometimes you watch who people marry and how different two people can be or a friendship develops and a deep, lasting friendship and you just think to yourself, I would have never thought that those, uh, that those two would have become the friends that they've, uh, they've become, the close friends that they've uh, become. And you wonder how those kind of, uh, with those kind of personality differences, how the friendship could survive, much less to thrive uh, as it does. With Timothy, uh, Paul and Timothy, in some ways, you could not have had two men that were more uh, different than one another in terms of um, temperament, uh, in terms of even physical constitution, uh, Timothy was a relatively timid person. The Apostle Paul was a very, very bold person, uh, though he ascribed his boldness to uh, a work of God in his life as a result of the prayers of God's people for him to be uh, bold. Timothy was given to fear far easier than uh, the Apostle Paul was given to fear. 
Paul would write to Timothy later on, and he said, uh, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, Timothy, hasn't given us a spirit of timidity. He was far more timid as a person uh, uh, naturally than, uh, than the Apostle Paul was. He was more emotional, uh, certainly as we see him in the Scriptures, than, uh, than we see in terms of emotion in the Apostle Paul in, in a natural uh, sense he was much more easily discouraged and intimidated uh, than Paul was, and uh, Timothy could become uh, could be fairly dependent upon others, and Paul was very very uh, independent, not in the sense that he was independent of relationship and caring about that. Um, but uh, he, he really wasn't dependent upon anyone in terms of moving forward. Uh, uh, encouragement from the Lord, yes, but encouragement from others not needing it as much as, as Timothy did. And yet, for all of these differences, you could almost not pick two people that were, are different, more different in all of the Scriptures, and, and yet uh, uh, Paul uh, came to love Timothy, trusted him, and uh, in a unique way, and Timothy the same way toward the apostle uh, Paul. Paul uh, should never be viewed as someone who couldn't get along with people who were very, very different from him. Uh, he could, and Timothy is an example uh, of that, of course. In all relationships like that, like this, in a, in a deep relationship, it, for it, when there are significant differences on that level, it must also mean that there are significant similarities in the deeper streams of both lives that are more important than these other things in a communion and a relationship and fellowship that occurs on that, on that level. And they certainly had that. They were kindred spirits in terms of uh, walking with the Lord, serving the Lord, the imp importance of the gospel being uh, uh, preached and, and their commitment to the body of Christ. Well, I don't want to have us leave this account because and maybe it'll just be for me this evening. Um, it, it, without giving some attention to the backstory, in in terms of this relationship, the backstory for this relationship between uh, the Apostle Paul and Timothy, it, it, the relationship doesn't begin in chapter 16. Uh, the relationship, absolutely unknown to the Apostle Paul, actually began uh, back in chapter 14. And uh, we remember that uh, Paul visited Lystra on his first missionary journey, and, uh, and so this was his second visit there. You might remember from back in chapter 14 how it was that after this uh, crowd of people there in Lystra uh, came to idolize uh, Paul and, and, uh, and then under the influence of the Judaizers turned on him and then uh, 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 sought to uh, destroy him. They stoned him and then dragged him out as dead to the edge of the city and, and they left him there for dead. And of course, God wasn't done with Paul's ministry yet or Paul and so so uh, he arose from that uh, condition where even the other Christians assumed he was dead. He brushed himself off and he then re-entered the city. Now, I don't know um, how strong your instinct of self-preservation is, but um, I might be inclined to stand up and brush myself off and go in the exact opposite direction of 
the city filled with the people uh, that just stoned me, uh, intended to stone me to death and uh, leave them to their own business. But Paul did return, and when Paul and Barnabas uh, departed from Lystra for the city of Derbe, uh, it looked if, uh, outwardly as if their ministry in Lystra had really uh, accomplished nothing. It was just a, uh, an absolute catastrophe. But it had accomplished something, because when Paul, Paul returns to Lystra five years later, uh, there they were, the grandmother Lois, uh, the mother Eunice, and Timothy himself, all saved, and all of them continuing uh, to walk with the Lord. And it would appear that all of them became Christians as a result of Paul's first missionary journey and his ministry, uh, earlier ministry uh, there. Uh, many believe that Paul intimates as much when he uh, wrote of Timothy in his first letter to the church at Corinth. He described him as my beloved and faithful son uh, in the Lord. And so the fact that he had come to know the Lord through the ministry of the uh, Apostle Paul, uh, in the same way Paul would write to Timothy himself, in one of the two uh, pastoral epistles that he wrote to Timothy, and he uh, began his first epistle to Timothy, a true son in the faith. It seems very clear that Timothy became a Christian long before Paul's second missionary journey, and in fact became a Christian in Lystra uh, on his first missionary journey. Uh, some believe that, again, that Timothy was about 18 years old at this time and uh, still a young man in the way that uh, uh, people were viewed as being young men or don't let anyone despise your youth. When Paul spoke that to Timothy and Timothy was 30 years old, it was to, to be fairly youthful in a, in a, a culture that esteemed people of, a, uh, of, uh, uh, of an older age. And so... Um, and, and so uh, Paul would have, this would have made Timothy about 13 years old when he possibly witnessed the stoning uh, of Paul. And uh, maybe he was among that group of Christians that came out to the edge of the city. And uh, certainly uh, those who saw him when he returned to the city all bloodied and, and uh, wounded. Later Paul would uh, write uh, to kind of reinforce this understanding of what happened in Timothy's life related to this, uh, this stoning, Paul would write to Timothy uh, as one who was very uh, intimately acquainted with the events in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, and out of, uh, uh, and out of them all the Lord delivered uh, me. And of course, with uh, all that Paul was dealing with at the time, and, uh, and as he's uh, just been, uh, I don't know what kind of internal damage, what kind of what happens when you've been uh, uh, stoned at least into unconsciousness and perhaps even uh, stoned to death, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure that um, that, uh, 
that's going to use up a lot of oxygen in the room in a person's life. I mean, when you've just been through that event, I don't know how uh, aware you are of everything else that is happening around you in terms of the missionary journey uh, at that particular point uh, in, in time. And uh, and I and I don't certainly know that the Apostle Paul uh, wasn't carefully uh, watching Timothy to find out whether this had an effect on Timothy, uh, but Timothy was watching Paul, as Paul intimates, and uh, Paul, in what he did here in being stoned, coming back into the city to still care for the body before he left, it greatly, greatly impacted. Uh, Timothy, uh, to watch this uh, man continue in his Christian life and ministry, though he's just covered with wounds from head uh, to toe. And, uh, and, and so these wounds, these scars, and I've spoken about it on the Sunday mornings, but um, the, there's no getting through this, the Christian life without wounds and scars. Uh, certainly, sometimes physically, uh, it's the portion of most of the body of Christ around the world, and certainly uh, not uh, without incurring uh, emotional and mental wounds and scars, uh, which um, are in their own ways uh, far more debilitating and far more frightening and, uh, and, and devastating uh, than any kind of a physical wound that someone might uh, meet out uh, uh, upon us. And, uh, and when a person bears these wounds and has these scars, it's impossible for uh, those things to be noticed, uh, go unnoticed by other Christians, and uh, not just for a 13-year-old boy in the city of Lystra, but for all of us. One of the things that uh, is fascinating to me, but we're always kind of polite uh, about things, but Maybe you've been in like a public environment or something and you'll see somebody like with a scar from the edge of their mouth, uh, maybe all the way up toward their ear or some other kind of uh, thing that you look at and you go, that was not a surgery. Um, and of course, in my mind, I immediately think, how in the world uh, did that happen? What's the backstory? Of, of that particular uh, scar, and when did it happen? Boy, that must have been painful. I wonder how painful something like that was. I wonder what it felt like before uh, he got any medical care and they closed it up and got him on some, you know, some painkillers, and, and how do you, they survive uh, these great wounds? And it's not just a wound on the face, but uh, a wound on, on the body. And so how did they heal from that? And, and uh, how hard was it, was, it, was it to go through that? healing process and uh, what fear, fears did they have and uh, what courage did it require and of course the uh, the greater the wound uh, the greater the scar and the greater the scar the greater the curiosity in our life about the origin of the scar and how a person survives a scar like that in their lives and the wound that produces a scar like that uh, in in their uh, in their lives and I think we ask ourselves these kind of questions, uh, not, you know, kind of out of a morbid curiosity, but for our learning, for our own instruction, 
to look and say, if, if I were scarred in that way, if I went through some kind of whatever it might be, an automobile, a knife fight, a mugging, whatever it might be, what could I learn from this person uh, that would help me in that circumstance that got them through uh, all, all of that? I think of the Christians in my own uh, life and in my own childhood uh, whose uh, scars had an immense impact upon me as a boy and as a young man. And, uh, and to sometimes to my shame, but I don't hold myself responsible for it because what is a boy going to do uh, related to it? But I, I never told them. I never spoke up. I never told them um, what it meant to me to be able to watch them continue in their Christian life, though they were being uh, badly wounded by the body of Christ sometimes, and those that called themselves Christians, or being badly wounded by uh, the world or by, uh, uh, by the devil. And, uh, and here I would, I would watch them. I would know in this little church that I attended at times in, in my youth, and, uh, and in little churches, you kind of find out a little bit about everything uh, pretty quickly sometimes. And I would watch their lives, and I would watch their lives for a hope um, and, and uh, to watch how does a person survive something like that. And I think of a man by the name of John. He was my Sunday school teacher while I was in junior high. And uh, at church, the group never, ever consisted of more than uh, three to five um, people in that, in that group on any given Sunday. He had two daughters, and one of them, I don't know whether it was because of a disease that she had uh, or uh, she was born this way, but her, one of her legs was re removed uh, below the knee. And I'd never seen a child that was missing a part of a limb. And I didn't know how they navigated life like that. And I didn't know what kind of help they needed in doing that. And I would watch this Sunday school teacher by the name of John, how careful and attentive he was of his daughter to, to uh, over, uh, overwhelm every need that this lack in her life uh, re required. And then uh, one day uh, I, uh, we came to church and to learn that his wife uh, had left him and uh, hadn't left him uh, for another man, but had left him for another woman. And uh, back in those days, that kind of thing was unheard of. Uh, for us at that age, we didn't even know how to get our minds around that. We didn't know what was involved. We just knew it was uh, wrong and that it was devastating and it would be devastating to uh, a husband and that kind of a of a a situation, and I watched him, and I watched him, and I watched him, and I wondered what that wound might, might be related to what his wife did to him in this, on top of everything else he was already facing um, in, in life. And I watched him continue with the Lord. I watched him continue to serve the Lord. And uh, occasionally, I run into him this day, uh, these days, and he's still walking with the Lord, and, uh, and 
uh, looks about the same age. He's probably just in his 30s at that time, but you know, when you're that age, you're 30, might as well be 70. Uh, you're on death's door, you know, so uh, he had a lot of life uh, uh, left in him, and he never knew I was watching him. Of course, I'm not going to communicate it. I wouldn't know how to communicate it. Didn't have enough of anything to communicate it. Had no idea the inspiration that he was in my life. I've mentioned her before, but a woman by the name of Dorothy in my life and in that young age and instrumental in bringing my mother to the Lord and then responsible for our attending uh, church there in Napa. And she never missed an opportunity, never once to share the gospel uh, with me. And uh, she was a great, great fan of J. Vernon McGee. Uh, listened to him every single day through the Bible. And uh, she would tell me what John, J. Vernon McGee had said that day. And uh, his five-year journey through the scriptures on radio. And my mother and Dorothy came into contact uh, with one another out of uh, a condition that they had in common, and that was mental illness. They met in Napa State Hospital. And uh, most of the time when I saw Dorothy, she was uh, perfectly well, as normal as, as the most carefree person in the world. And then, but I remember uh, not infrequently uh, the, the days and the weeks when she struggled and uh, her medication would get out of whack, um, the lithium dose wasn't doing what it was supposed to do to control her uh, mental illness, and I would watch her for hours standing outside of her uh, apartment, and um, she would be smoking one cigarette after another, after another, after another, and she would be doing this for hours at a time and unable uh, to stop. And I thought to myself, what a, what a torment life must be to be like that, and how difficult life uh, must have, have been uh, for her. And, uh, and then finally the day would come that somehow whatever would happen and she'd emerge from that kind of low place back into something uh, better. But uh, with the knowledge, as was the case with my mother, that, uh, that if God did not heal her, that was going to be her portion all the way till the day that she entered in, uh, into, uh, into heaven. And yet through all of it, she continued to walk with the Lord. And the Lord was everything to her. And she had no idea this goofy kid who would take the money that his mom gave him and his brother to put in the offering in church to go over to the liquor store and buy candy with it every week, that this goofy kid that looked like he wasn't going to amount to anything was watching her and being inspired by her. And that that heritage in my life would be more inspirational later in my life than even it was at, um, at, that, at that time. And I watch today, and I watch many, many Christians through the years, and having been a pastor for almost 40 years, and to watch people walk through the difficulties in their Christian life and to continue on, and uh, to watch many of you and uh, many within this body just to continue on in their relationship with the Lord through all of the wounding, all of the scarring, all of the setbacks that occur uh, within life, the unwanted divorce that comes 
uh, uh, your way. A single mother who's doing the best that she can to raise her child in the Lord uh, through illnesses and disease and through the death uh, of a husband or a wife that's completely uh, unexpected and just out uh, of the blue. And again, these wounds, uh, the greatest wounds in life, I would contend, are not physical. They are emotional and they are mental, and they are uh, deep. And then uh, to watch people walk through the most difficult of times, painful uh, of times, and just trying to survive and, and get by, and, and then for them to never realize that we're watching. Uh, sometimes someone will um, catch me at the back door and they'll say, they've been gone maybe for years or something, and they'll say something like, boy, you've grown. And I punch them <laughs> for being socially inappropriate. You can think that, but you don't say that to people. Of course I've grown. And clearly you haven't. So, okay. <laughs> or you would know not to say that. Uh, to a person in that, in that kind of place. So, but we're not going to walk up and say, boy, your life is just a disaster. The whole bottom has fallen out. I don't even how, know how you take your next breath in, but you're an inspiration to me. We don't, we don't do that. And yet we watch. We watch. All of us watch, other Christians, watch in this body. I can't tell you how many people in this body through the years is I've just watched them continue and, and for them week in and week out that consistency and inspiration in my own life uh, to continue in my own service to the Lord and my own uh, walk with the Lord. And so the Christian life is filled with this kind of thing and and, uh, and we can sometimes think to ourselves, no, nobody's watching me, nobody's aware uh, of any of this. Don't you believe it? Our lives are never more watched than we find ourselves in this kind of a place, never perhaps more influential than we continue to serve the Lord and walk with him through those kind of, of circumstances. And so some Timothy always, Paul had no idea that Timothy was watching, and yet he was. And you and I have no idea how our lives influence others in seasons and times like Paul went through in Lystra. One day in heaven, maybe we'll know. I think we will. Uh, but what God keeps to himself, what goes on, I always think about us as kind of like, certainly about me, uh, if you ever saw the old cartoon, Mr. Magoo, um, it really wasn't much of a cartoon. Uh, I mean, you could only watch him fumble and bumble and, and do that. But I, I oftentimes think of, of Christian ministry and, and walking with the Lord as Mr. Magoo. He's just has no idea what he's doing, the mess that he's making. He's just going forward, and yet somehow it all resolves itself. And, uh, and, and, and that's how it works in our lives too. If we even remotely knew how God is using uh, those seasons in, in our life, we would, we would realize that he's inspiring people in a way by his Holy Spirit that they'll never forget. In verse six, 
Now, when they had gone through Perga and come to the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit uh, to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go down into Bithynia, but the Spirit would not permit them. And so passing by Mysia, they, the three of them, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now when he had seen uh, the vision, immediately uh, we sought to go to Macedonia, which is Greece, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel uh, to them. And so Paul attempts to move into Asia in this second missionary journey, not Asia in terms of the Orient, but Asia in terms of uh, a re region of the Roman Empire that we know is, is a, a modern-day Turkey and uh, Western Turkey. And uh, so he, he tries to uh, move in that direction. Uh, it's likely he's trying to make uh, his way to the city of Ephesus at that point, where so often he would go to a large significant city, reach that city, significant in terms of population and influence, and then satellite churches would then come uh, out of that. And so he stopped there. He's going to go to, to Ephesus and establish a church uh, another time. Uh, but God didn't want him to do it at, at this time. And so, uh, and, and so he tries to go in that direction, forbidden by the Holy Spirit there in verse 7, uh, to cross into Asia. Paul and his missionary team then traveled into a region called Mysia uh, in the northwestern part uh, of Turkey. They attend to, at that point, to uh, travel to Bithynia, which would mean to go further north and, and east. Again, the Holy Spirit did not permit them to do so. So you put yourself in Paul's position here. It's hard to get clear in our minds in terms of all these directions and all of these cities. But uh, here Paul has been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go north or to go south. Uh, and given the fact that he'd already been east, uh, they decided to go west to the city of Troas. Uh, and, and they're stopped there by the Aegean Sea uh, to await the Lord's leading now for the rest of of the missionary journey. The Apostle Paul had on his agenda for this missionary journey, we're going to go and we're going to return and visit uh, all of these churches that were established on the first missionary uh, journey. That's his plan uh, to do that. And uh, that was his understanding of God's will that he was operating under. And then in verse 10, that focus is changed by God. And, uh, and now uh, they were to preach the gospel to the Greeks in their own country. And so here you have Paul. He thinks God has called him to do a particular thing. He's convinced of that. But uh, he always wants to be led by the Holy Spirit in his uh, Christian life and then in his ministry. And, uh, and so he accepts this change in plan that the Lord brings uh, into uh, his, his life. And sometimes God reveals his will progressively and, uh, or uh, we have a, uh, have a part uh, of his plan correct, uh, but not every part of it uh, at all. I think it's wonderful to realize that some of the greatest missionaries 
in the history of the Christian church experienced the very same thing that the Apostle Paul uh, experienced uh, here. And, uh, and certainly every servant of the Lord, every pastor of the Lord will experience it as well. The famous missionary David Livingstone, he tried initially uh, to go to China. Uh, that was what he thought God wanted him to do, and God sent him to Africa instead. William Carey, whose name is just synonymous with India, he tried to go uh, to Polynesia in the South Seas initially, and God guided him to India instead. Uh, the missionary Judson, he went uh, to India first, but ultimately he was driven to Burma, and he spent the next 40 years of his life serving the Lord there uh, in Burma. All of them had plans operating uh, under, you know, what they perceived to be the will of God for their life. They moved forward in those plans, but those plans then God moved them into something uh, else. And, uh, and I think that it's important, and the reason that I mention all of this tonight is that it's important to realize that it's perfectly normal. I cannot tell you how many times in my life as a pastor and certainly personally as a Christian, I'm convinced that God uh, wants me to go in this direction and to do this thing. And so I begin in that uh, direction and I think that, okay, he's given me the full plan and everything, and this is how it's going to be. No need to really consult with him for the next 20 years. He's given me plenty to, uh, to keep myself busy. And, um, and then he changes the plan. The plan's much bigger than what he initially revealed to me. And it's not unspiritual when that happens in our lives. We should never look at a fellow Christian or servant of the Lord where this thing happens in their life and to say, can't they hear God? And, uh, and, and look down on them. So they, can't, they can't even hear God. Look at where they, uh, he started off in this direction and ended up here. Well, we'll wait for your autobiography when you write it uh, uh, concerning always being right and hearing uh, the Lord. But um, uh, this very thing happened to the Apostle Paul. It'll be our experience as well. And not to be surprised by it or uh, enter into self-doubt when those kind of things uh, happen. We have a peace to go in a particular direction, and we start to move in that direction, and then all of a sudden the peace uh, starts to dry up, and then the Lord directs us someplace else is very, very normal in the Christian life. And so Paul is there in Troas. He has a vision uh, in the night. A vision is a means by which God communicates to us. It's a dream, kind of, only you're awake, and uh, it's one of the ways that God communicates to us. And and, uh, and he hears the, sees this vision of a man of Macedonia, modern-day Greece. He's pleading with them, come over to Macedonia uh, and uh, help us. And so uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy recognize that this is uh, a revelation from uh, the Lord, and then they begin to make their plans then 
uh, to go to Macedonia, we're told in verse 10 that immediately Paul uh, was obedient to the vision that God had given to him. No time like the present to uh, be immediately obedient to, uh, to uh, the Lord and what he calls us to. Procrastination is such an enemy uh, of Christian service so often, and uh, things get then buried by the tyranny of the urgent, as the old booklet uh, uh, puts it. And, uh, and so uh, it looked like a small thing here, this vision that he receives, and yet here under the influence of this vision, the gospel is brought into Europe the very first time and a very, very significant expansion of the gospel in the world and the expansion of the Great Commission. And it, this would change the world, this uh, vision and obedience to that vision that Paul uh, uh, was obedient to. And they couldn't have known that at the moment, but God did. You notice in verse 10 that uh, uh, the, uh, Luke, as he writes the book of Acts, uh, he says, now after he, Paul, had received the vision, immediately we sought to join, uh, to go to Macedonia. Somewhere in all of this, Dr. Luke, also the, the human author uh, inspired by the Spirit uh, for the gospel of Luke, he joins this missionary uh, team. Paul needed a recorder, God did, uh, for the events of the book of Acts, and Paul's busy doing it. Somebody else is going to have to record it for us, and, he, and Paul also needed a physician, and Luke was a physician, and uh, uh, Paul would have physical problems, and so God uh, brings Luke uh, into Paul's life, and, um, and a, a, long, a lifelong relationship developed there as well. And we'll stop there tonight. And we'll pick it up in verse 11 and on into uh, Philippi, uh, God willing, next week. So if the worship team will come forward and lead us in worship as we just meditate uh, upon these things and give consideration to uh, the relationships in our own lives and to stop and to think about who have been the encouragers in our life. And... Uh, um, I think that when Timothy saw um, Paul get up from that heap on the ground, um, that impacted him more than a thousand sermons. And uh, we've all been impacted that way by others. And just to take some time to give God thanks for those people. And if we find ourselves in those kind of straits tonight in terms of our own life, to realize the impact that God never wastes anything in our lives, but the impact that our lives are having is an encouragement to others. And to thank God for these personal relationships that God brings into our lives in the body of Christ as he brought Paul and Timothy uh, together. For many people, maybe many in this room, certainly many around the world, to become a Christian is to lose all family. Is you lose all family relationship. And so relationships then come out of the body of Christ. And then to look at how God has brought these relationships into our life, knit our hearts together. You two friends, I would have never thought it. And yet God did it because we need each other. And then we become lifelong friends. So much to be thankful for. And in addition, 
in terms of a practical application here in addition to just understanding in this passage uh, this uh, relationship between the two that threads its way all the way through of the New Testament. And for us to understand as a result of it, Paul in a way that we would not otherwise understand uh, him. And understanding Paul is important to us. So let's worship the Lord.